Welcome back to A Little Bit Deep. I'm Sophie. And I'm Eden. We're your emotional friends who are here to talk about the real shit. And yes, we're changing this up every week because we've been testing out a few slogans <laughs> and <laughs> it's got to change up. But we like this one, so we might stick around with it. But, you know, it could change. Who knows? So this week... We are going to be talking about intergenerational patterns and family patterns that get passed down through different generations, which is what that means. Um, yes. <laughs> so stick around for that. It's going to be really, really good. But do you have a deep dive for me this week, Eden? I don't have a deep dive, but I do have a recommendation. Um, yes. My recommendation or my lifestyle recommendation is having your nails done. I haven't had my nails done all year until now and what? I just feel like a better yeah like I didn't have them all year I had a break I am yeah. shook because I know you as a nails girl like you're you've always got your nails I know wow. I haven't and noticed so, yeah well well you haven't really seen me <laughs> um yeah so having my nails done I just am back to myself I just love it I actually feel more empowered when I have my nails done. Anywho, and I have a recommendation, which is actually annoying because it's niche to Melbourne, but I know there's a new good acai bowl place because I heard on my friend's podcast about it. So I'll recommend their one. But my recommendation for Melbourne acai bowls is Lover Bowl. So freaking good. Like, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Now. Okay, so right, 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 right. Let me just, unpopular opinion. What makes a good acai bowl? Because people say this, yes. but I need to understand because I actually, like, it's an acai bowl. How, like, yeah. can it be? How is it really good? How can it? Yeah. It is the ratios of everything and the consistency. And so I was, I've been off buying acai bowls for a few years now, mm. right? So Lover Bowl, the amount of, and you get Nutella and coconut yogurt, that's what I get. And the amount of Nutella <laughs> and coconut yogurt they give you is ridiculous. Okay. So I don't know the new Brisbane one. Apparently that's really good, but I haven't tried it. What's it called? Yeah, so it's called Fruit Bowl. So, yeah, so if you've got to try it and tell me, and I, and then we can see if it's on par because. Okay, well, let me let me try and eat it before next I'll go get one. Oh my god, I don't want to steal your deep dive, but is it gonna be the Little Mermaid? Yeah. Okay, I won't. Okay, Sophie's about to tell you her deep dive. Here we go. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I agree with whatever it is. Okay, so my deep dive this week is that when I was in Melbourne with Eden, we went and saw the new live action of The Little Mermaid. And you will know that this is my favorite childhood movie if you listened to last week's or the week before's episode. No, the week Ex- before. Yeah, Exposing Ourselves episode. Um, so yes, I've always been a fan. I might be a little bit biased, but Actually, I went into this kind of not expecting much because I wasn't very impressed with the trailer and the visuals I'd seen. The colours weren't right. The live action of Flounder, like, are you joking? He is supposed to be a chubby, cute fish and he looked like a real fish. And I was like, this is not it. But I was like so astoundedly surprised. And I'm not even talking it up because I actually have been telling everybody in my life to go see it at work and everything. And everybody has agreed with me. It is actually the best live action Disney movie I've seen so far. Um, 
and just the songs the actress who plays ariel is a star she absolutely nailed it her singing her acting like just her essence actually portrayed ariel so so well the actor who played um prince the actor who played prince eric is amazing and yeah. everyone yeah it just it was such such a good watch and the whole theme is so the underwater theme is just is done so so well so please go watch that if you have it i promise you it's a great time if you're into like disney movies and you're into childhood memories that vibe definitely a good watch with your friends so yeah that's my deep dive I was going to say that, but I it clicked in my brain that you would end up talking about that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, intrusive thought, do you have one of those? Yeah. So I was talking to Sam, my partner, and we've had this thing that he will not take photos of me. And I feel like as a female, any female listening would agree with this. Girls, we always take photos of each other, right? If we're out, we get photos together and it's just such a female experience. Or even just candid ones. We just snap it away. Or you just take photos of your friends. Like it's just a female yeah. experience. In a relationship and you're hanging out with your partner all the time, sometimes you want a photo. Like if you're in a cute environment or you just want a photo of whatever you're doing as a memory and it makes me really upset. So that's my intrusive thought. <laughs> you're calling him out right now. <laughs> Literally. I love that though. The guys that get it, get it. And the guys that don't are really annoying. But, but in saying that, my boyfriend has never been good at taking photos of me, so I just don't ask where I wish he knew, but I can't be bothered training him. Yeah. Because I've tried and it just, nothing is, it just never. Yeah, I know. Like, on... But does he still take photos if you just don't like them? Yeah. Okay, well, that's cute. Like, at least he's willing to take I, photos. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever liked a photo. <laughs> The light, there's nothing ever adds yeah. up. Any like my sister knows how to take photos of me. Oh um, yeah, like as soon as a friend takes a photo, it's great. But if yeah, but why? Why do they not have it? I don't get it. It's, I think it's because they think we look good all the time. So they're like, "What do you mean? You look good in every angle. It doesn't matter what the lighting is or the angles or whatever." They just think and then they get frustrated the like, if no. you like get another one. Yeah, yeah, because they think you look good, and you're like, "But I don't. Yeah. You don't get it." Yeah, I, I'm just gonna agree with you on that intrusive yeah. thought, and um, not. Do you have one? Because I don't no. really have one. I don't know. I don't think I do. I think um, my actually, yeah, no, I don't have one. Fair enough. I agree with yours. In today's episode, we are discussing generational patterns that are passed down through families and how it affects the tools we have in life. So how it stunts growth and makes us more susceptible to having negative lifestyles and traits in life. Uh, this is essentially like a flow on effect from people not having good examples around them and therefore having a flow on effect through our lives and through generations. Um, just a disclaimer as well, in this episode, there will be themes of mental health and substance abuse that are discussed. Uh, we think it's just important to just raise that at the start. So we will be discussing three main areas. The first one is addiction, second is divorce, and the third is mental health. Just because these are the ones we both have experienced most in our lives, and we believe these are the most commonly experienced generational patterns that can be passed down. So Eden and I both have experienced different areas and we'll touch on our stories as we go through as well. We also wanted to touch on 
how we can notice these patterns in our own lives and help ourselves break the pattern and change the narrative in our lives and in our children's lives as well moving forward. Cool. So the first one we're going to touch on is addiction. And so there are obviously so many different types of addiction that people can experience. Uh, We're going to talk on substance abuse mostly, but how substance abuse can affect families for generations Mm. and how it also can be passed down in different aspects that it contributes to your life and your the way that you live your life if you have had that generational pattern in your life um I just said in your life a <laughs> times but um <laughs> no but it's a real it's a real thing if you have grown up with people in your family close to you who have struggled with substance abuse or addiction of any kind the the behaviors in how that manifests and even just the actual act of it just becomes normalized so that really affects your psyche from a really young age and can change how you view these behaviors and make them okay when they're not a normal behavior if that makes sense yeah 100% and i think like something that i want to touch on first is how i have noticed in my life how I feel as if I'm more sensitive to people who are uh, baby using drugs or drinking. And even when I drink a lot, um, I could become triggered very easily. Mm. And it's because of my experience with um, substance abuse in my family. So my family have generation upon generation have struggled with drug addictions and alcohol addictions. And I think it's really tricky tricky when you realize like you're actually scared of people who are under the influence or you're even scared of yourself because you've experienced firsthand how damaging it can be and the chaos that it can cause in people's lives. Mm. Um, It's really scary. So I think that that's like a big factor with the generational impact is you realize the effect it actually does have on families as a whole rather than just, oh, I'm using it for fun or whatever. It's, it's heartbreaking. Like I, I actually think addiction is one of the most saddest things that someone can deal with because they, in a way, can't control it. It actually che- rewires your brain and your your makeup as a human being, like your behaviours, everything is centred around this need to have this you know substance or whatever it is like addiction can be many different things like you know we're we're mainly talking on substance and alcoholism because that's it's it's uh it's just a very common one amongst generational patterns in alcoholism is everywhere and i think that's why we want to talk about is like i'm sure people listening have had family members who have been alcoholics yeah. or drug addicts and seeing the impact has had on their family. I know uh, I have cousins, I've got other family members who their whole lives have been so much more difficult for them because mm. they haven't, um, they didn't have the tools when they were younger to live a healthy lifestyle. They were accustomed to this normal lifestyle um that isn't actually normal and then us as the children are all like well okay yeah uh, is this normal like you have to figure out what's normal and what's not all on your Mm. own um and i think like substance abuse progresses uh in different 
trajectories oh my gosh can't say that word because people can go from experimentation to use to regular use to abuse and then to having dependence Mm. where some people in family circumstances they're dependent on that from the age of like 13 it happens all the time so well as in like as in like the parents have given the kids when they were young so they grow up addicting yeah it's just like or even yeah like um they're just it, it is a normal thing for them to be getting drunk or smoking weed yeah. or have access to those substances from such a young age where in a normal middle class society um it's not that would be frowned upon just the difference in that one person is so normalized and another person it's not it does definitely change your attitude towards those behaviors and those kinds of things yeah and that's where I think like learned behaviors come come in right um like growing up around substance abuse it's it becomes normalized drinking every every night um your parents being drunk or whatever becomes normalized or maybe your parents smoke weed whatever they do it becomes normalized and it can lead you to either like resenting it and it being a very like triggering thing to you or then people grow up and they end up walking in the footsteps and it's passed down that generational like gene is passed down to you it's a really tricky thing to navigate because you actually are more um yeah like susceptible susceptible sorry yes to being an addict if you come from addicts it's just Mm. yeah the national institute on drug abuse research program suggests that genetics contribute to approximately 40 to 60 percent of an individual's vulnerability to addiction having a parent with addiction increases the likelihood of inheriting genetic predispositions that can influence the development of addictive behaviors and that's just like i've seen that everywhere um throughout my life that's that's crazy and i think i think it's like as you said you could go in one of two ways right you can either follow in the footsteps or you become someone who want despises it and is very easily triggered in social situations where there might be recreational drug use or whatever and i think it's about pinpoint if you are someone who's struggling with that it's it's kind of just recognizing that in yourself and there are people who can also have more addictive personality types as well and I think being aware if you are one of those people and if you do come from you know a family where addiction is around or you've seen it in your life to be really really careful because maybe if you are thinking of dabbling in recreational drug use or it could really alter your life um and I think I've just looked up a few addictive personality traits it's not really like something you're diagnosed with but it's just something to be aware of so if you're someone who's sensation seeking um you can be very obsessive and compulsive with things unable to self-regulate you like to take risks and you're always wanting more. So they're, they're kind of things like if you feel like you're that kind of personality, then that could mean you would have an addictive personality. So these kind of things could be dangerous. Yeah, I think that's really well said because, you know, you will realize and hopefully, you know, you are self-aware and I would assume if you're someone who like listens to podcasts and is, you know, interested in these type of topics, you, you would be self-aware to know that, okay, I'm searching for something more and like, you know, I'm drinking every week. I'm doing drugs. I wanted something else. I want another hit. I want something stronger. La, da, da. I know there's so many different areas of it, mm. but to realize that 
okay, this environment, I've seen how it affects my family. This is an environment mm-hmm. that I probably should not be in because I know within me that I don't have the capacity to be strong enough or to um, live a healthy life around these people who might just be doing it casually for fun. It, you know, the likelihood of it affecting at least one of those people, yeah, it probably will. But overall, a lot of people can just do like stuff like that for fun where there are some people who can't. I know me personally, even like I need to watch how much I drink because especially depending on um, the social settings, uh, like this is really random, but like when I'm with girls and my girlfriends, I feel super safe and I can drink with them and be carefree and have fun. Where if I'm in an environment where I don't feel safe, there might be lots of guys around, people who don't care about me, I can get triggered really easily. And so Mm. that's been something I've been learning over the past, even the last year, I've still been learning that, like what environments can I drink in and what environments can't I drink in? And it's just, it's, it's sad, but it's not sad because that is my story. And, and, and I should know myself well enough to remove myself from those situations. So I don't affect any of my loved ones or whatever. Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, before you even said that how you think it's affected like coming from a family where you've seen these kind of things and behaviors you know happen how it's affected you and I think that, that you having the awareness at this age as well that that's the behavior that you kind of struggle with I think is the first step right like that's all you yeah. can really do is being aware and wanting to you know better yourself and and change the narrative and that's why we're talking about it is because you can change the narrative and all you can do is want, try to be better at the end of the day, you know? So, um, Completely. As, yeah. When you are around very toxic situations, the mental strain the per- the addict is going through impacts you as well because they you are their punching bag on their come down. You are. Mm. That's because they don't know how to correlate their emotions and their feelings because they're so used to being drunk or high that when they're on their come down and they haven't got their, they're in their almost like vulnerable state say, and by the way, no expert on this. This is just stuff that I have learned from experience. I would love to hear if you guys have any good podcasts or research papers or whatever we're open to learning more but from what I've um, experienced is that when they're on their come down it's when it's at its most um, it can also be as toxic of when they're really drunk and high or whatever they're doing Hmm. so I know that there was a period of my life when I felt like I was so everything was so chaotic that I had no idea what I was actually experiencing around me that I just completely disassociated for a couple of months there where I didn't even realize the environment I was in was absolutely insane Yeah, because their mental state, you can't handle it or you can't handle who these, like what's going on around you. So you just kind of disassociate and just like cruise through life I I don't even know how to explain it yeah I remember I remember that period you were just acting like nothing was happening it just was like yeah I just was surviving like I was actually happy at that time but but I was in such a toxic environment all the time that I just disassociated and then I ended up getting in a relationship at that point and that was like 
the worst boyfriend I've ever had. So like, it just shows how it manifests. It it makes your new normal. Yeah, it's, it's your new normal, right? Whereas someone who is not in that environment would look at that and see that as a red flag. And they'd be like, yeah. no, I'm not going there. Yeah. Whereas that's just normalized. So you're like, yeah, that's I, I understand this is comfortable. I feel safe here, which it's actually not a safe environment. So yeah, it's no. there's a lot there, a lot there to unpack. Yeah, so like it's a it's a massive topic and what we're trying to say is that like all these things that people who do have generational patterns of substance abuse and addiction is it is a really, really tricky thing because it does get passed down and you are more susceptible to it and you are more sensitive and that is okay, but you need to recognize where your triggers are and what you can handle and be in tune enough to better yourself so you don't end up in any like environments you don't want to end up in in the yeah, future. Definitely. For yourself and for your family and whatever. The next point we're getting onto is divorce. This is something that we can both really speak on because I think and every single family and every situation, every person is so unique to you, right? So this is just like an, these are overarching topics, but there's like obviously so much we could talk about. Yeah. And Soph and I, like we've both been through this, but we both have such different stories as well, but we mm. both find that we do struggle with similar things every now and then. Yeah. So it's so interesting to see the impacts of it and how growing up, oh, actually there's a study that we found and it says um, it was done by Wolfinger, sorry, I would have butchered that, who was an assistant professor in the University of Utah. And he studied that growing up in a divorced family greatly increases the chances of ending one's own marriage, a phenomenon called the divorce cycle or the intergenerational transmission of divorce, which yeah. is exactly what we're talking about. It's the generational pattern that like manifested in your families for mm. years possibly and how to break out of it because, you know, obviously we don't want what we've been through. And it's interesting because um, a divorce statistic from 2022 states that certain studies have shown that daughters of divorced parents have a 60% higher divorce rate in marriages than children of non-divorced parents, while sons have a 35% higher rate. I thought that was interesting because I'm like, why? I wonder why. That's just so intriguing to me. What do you think it's for? The only thing I can think of is... Um, like I find you're just like more hyper aware. I don't, I actually couldn't say. I haven't been married. I, I don't know. Do you think generally speaking, right? Women are a lot more, um, I think women who come from divorced families might have more daddy issues, might be, you know, clinging on to people that maybe aren't the best for them just because they crave that intimacy. Whereas I think men are almost like, this need to provide, I suppose. Well, this is very generalized, obviously. Yeah, I know. But the stat is generalized as well. So we can speak from that perspective. But one thing I can think of is that like, I find in family homes, the man plays a massive part in the functionality. You need a healthy woman, obviously. But I mean, like, if the man has tapped out, you can't, 
don't know. I see the, I see it as you. You can't convince you men. You can't. That's about what I was going to say. Is you cannot convince a man to do anything. He has to do it on his own. He has to want to do it. Mm. Especially if you've already had children. I think the maternal, like, gene in us just takes over so we'll do anything till the ends of the earth where if the man has tapped out and doesn't want it anymore i'd like to like dive into that more and see where that actually comes from because that is very interesting yeah i think it's just a lot about like realizing where doing the work first that is something that i'm like really yeah really passionate about is just because if you're figure out and you know yourself well enough now and do the work now you can get the tools that your parents didn't have to then have a healthier and uh, more fruitful marriage because as we said at the start like all these generational patterns mostly stem from the parents or the grandparents etc not having the tools because they never got the help or they never had the resources that we have today yeah and there are real reasons why people divorce like there's actual valid reasons and I think that a lot of this may come from stem from those issues like if there are underlying issues generationally being passed down then those issues could lead to divorce as well oh 100% I reckon that's why my family's story is so crazy like I listened to my nan's testimony the other week and it's just like there's just so many different crazy things that just happened for years. And all I've ever seen in my yeah, wow. immediate family is divorce. Like my mum's my mom's mum had like two husbands or my mum's dad had like three wives. Uh, and I'm not sure above that because I didn't really meet them. But I do know that I think um, obviously back in the – 1950s or whatever they used to stay together when it was not cool so it's a different time it's not even comparable um but all I have seen is that divorce and that is something that has been like I think in our whole family it's just been something that we're just fighting so hard to not have happen everywhere around us and there are a few couples in my family that are um long-term marriages and they are healthy um but I've definitely seen the effects pass through because it is such a common theme yeah and I think developing bad attachment styles as a result of divorce in our families and cause anxious or avoidant attachment styles um I've said (laughs) but it can that can contribute to conflict and bad dynamics and challenges and insecurities that don't form a healthy relationship. No, yeah, that was a that's a great point because really, if you don't put in the work now, I don't want to speak too much for my parents or anything, but I know that my parents are both putting in work now for themselves to be healthier and get to know themselves and all that stuff. And um, you want to do that as soon as you can. You want to do that before you get into that long-term relationship, before you get married. Uh, I think I saw something earlier was that like people who get married after 25 are less likely to get a divorce. I don't know how accurate. I mean, these are just stats, right? But it's still interesting to reflect because it's like, yeah, okay, well, your frontal lobes are more developed. You've had time to get to know yourself. 
people are getting married later and later now. And I, I'm very interested to see if that has a positive impact on divorce rates, because I think that it will, because our generation is so keen to put in the work and become healthy and work on our attachment styles. Like even knowing what your attachment style is, is so powerful because you can go to therapy and you can figure it out, figure out the negative traits you bring into a relationship. I 100% agree with what you said, but I do think that working on yourself is an ever-changing journey. Like you're not going to just, you're not just going to work it out in three years or whatever. Like it's, you just need to be self-aware and make sure that you know, you are, you are just trying to better yourself, I think is so important. And just relearning and rewiring your brain as to what a healthy relationship looks like and how, and I I honestly just think at a basic level, like this term healthy relationship, because it's such like an umbrella term, right? But I see it as just like, you respect each other and you're showing that in your words and actions always, even when you're unhappy or you're having disagreements and arguments, that's all you can ask for. And I think adding to what you said earlier is being understood by your partner is so powerful. And I think that's why talking about this stuff and realizing your um, negative traits or your triggers or things that have been negative patterns that have been passed down to you through family um, is really important to know because then you can bring it to your partner and you can explain who you are and where you come from and they can understand you so you mm. can then go on that journey of bettering your life and your future because if they understand who you are and why you are the way you are they can then have hopefully have empathy for you and and the things that you might struggle with like maybe one time you raise your voice and, and you realize because I've done that before I've been like mm. oh well that's actually you wouldn't speak to me like that yeah. I shouldn't speak to you like that. That's 100%. Not, that's not what our relationship is. And it's redefining yours. And at this age, it is just about understanding and pinpointing the traits I think you do have because nobody's perfect. Everybody has baggage. Everybody has stuff to bring to someone. You're not going to find a person who doesn't. Um, and I just think you're never going to be like fully healed before you get into a relationship. So it is just about... Well, you often, you often don't know... You often don't know what does affect you until you are in a relationship. Yeah, so true. Because you'll find new battles that come up as you go along and as the relationship matures and grows. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So last one is that we wanted to cover is mental health. Obviously, we all struggle with mental health to some degree but we wanted to approach this specifically in relation to our family's mental health conditions and that how they can be passed down to affect who you are as a person and if you know someone who is struggling or your family members are struggling or you've seen the effects of mental health in your own family we want to just destigmatize that and help people around us because I, I still believe you're so stigmatized and I've seen this in my life. I think mental health has been a huge factor in my family's breakdown and um, just my family in general. Like I've I've seen the effects of this and even though there is a huge movement and it's way better than it used to be, like everyone's getting therapy and talking about getting therapy and working on the issues like we are in this episode and, you know, depression and anxiety are huge topics. I still do think that, you know, big, bigger issues like, I don't know, bipolar disorder or um, schizophrenia, like 
other issues like that are still so stigmatized and it's so important to understand how this can contribute to your family if you have someone who struggles with one of these conditions it can be really really tough and often it's later in life they get diagnosed because they weren't aware of this back in the day so it is a huge factor in this conversation yeah and I think that um just we want to like we aren't any mental health experts we're not going to go into each mental health issue of nothing like that but we want to just like uh, recognize that families that do struggle with this it is passed down whether it's the actual mental health issue or whether it's the way um, your parents maybe parent you because they have certain things they've had to deal with because their parents had mental health issues and they never knew about it maybe they were like um, neglected like there's so many different things that can contribute to a family's function because of a mental health issue that maybe no one ever knew Mm. about so they just had to deal with it or um maybe it was you know diagnosed and it still affect like it still has the power to affect so i think we want to know that we want to talk about it because the more people understand about the mental health issue or diagnosis is that we can then have the tools and and um, support these family members and support ourselves to know our own boundaries and what we will want to be around and what we don't. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think the whole purpose behind becoming diagnosed is to help and create awareness about your behaviours and understanding and generate understanding from those around you. So I wanted to look into how the role of resilience and how resilience has a factor in mental health intergenerational patterns. So research suggests that individuals with higher levels of resilience are much better equipped to break these negative cycles and maintain their mental well-being. So you know, mental illness is a spectrum and you can sit anywhere on that spectrum. Even if you are diagnosed with the same disorder as another person, you can both experience it so differently. And I think that resilience and the will to overcome and want to better yourself is really the answer. Because if you don't have that and if you're not willing to understand yourself and want to go on that healing journey and seek help and get go through that process um then i think i really think that is the answer to maintaining your sanity and helping yourself in the long term yeah and helping your family and the future generations 100%. well i don't really think there's much more we need to touch on that just because it is such a big topic, but we really just wanted to touch on it because we know that there would be so many people who would have experienced different mental health issues in different ways amongst family members. Mm. So um, I think being aware is like a powerful thing in itself. But yeah, at the end of the day, we're not going to be perfect and we're gonna mess up and make mistakes. And we shouldn't hold the pressure on ourselves to be the perfect people or the perfect parents. And that that goes with our parents as well. Mm. Like we are all just using the tools that we have and what we know right now. And that's what I love about social media. Mm. That's one thing I do love about social media is that we have at our fingertips so many resources, not all accurate, but 
you know, we can go out there and we can learn more about our, the way we work as humans and, and how to have a healthy and stable mindset. Um, which is amazing. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, even just us having this conversation and being aware of our triggers and what where we struggle with yeah. at this age, like that wasn't happening when our parents were our age. No, they didn't have all this. And I think that's just it. Like we do have the choice to make better changes than previous generations. So um, it's just about doing the best you can. Like it's not be all end all. We're, we're all struggling. We all have things that we struggle with. It's just about doing the best you can. And I think something that I've noticed looking back on my grandparents or parents or whatever throughout generations is that you can't actually criticize these people because they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. And they were just trying to better themselves as well. And I think like, that's all you can ask for, right? We're all, everyone's in such a unique experience and yeah. like there's always going to be improvements yeah. every generation and that's all we can do is just try and improve and be the best person and version of ourselves as we can, so. Yeah, and everyone's story is so different so it's why these conversations are good to have because you learn more about other people. Like I love when people tell me about things they've been through, Um because you learn something from it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the best we can do is be aware, keep trying, be kind to yourself yeah. too. Like positive self-talk is so powerful with these things. Like you can overcome, you actually can overcome mm -hmm. this and you actually can break the pattern and you actually can yeah. do better than what you were, what your parents were given. They, you are set up in the position to do better. You will, like you can do it. Okay, guys, we're doing Asking for a Friend. Do, do, do. Um, I hope you guys like this segment. <laughs> we haven't really let us know. We've been doing it every we week. We love it. It's our so favorite, I hope, but <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this week we had two questions. They're related to each other. They're one of the same. Yeah, yeah. So we, both, we have yeah. the first one is which do you chase more in your life, connections or experiences? And the second question is which do you think is more meaningful? Which one do you chase more in life? 40% said connections, 60% said experiences. So most people chase experiences over connections. And then which do you think is more meaningful? 75% yeah. said connections. So even though like 60% are chasing experiences, 75 agree that connections are more meaningful. What do you think? And, and when I saw that, it confused me because I selected the same for both. But then I was like, hold on, I kind of agree with whatever, whatever I'm saying is that I you chase experiences more, but then um, connections are more important. But are they? But do you I agree with that? the keyword is chase. I do agree okay. because chasing. Do you chase connections or do they just come and then you nurture them? So that's kind of why I was like, oh, okay. But I did say that I chase connections and connections are more important because I didn't know there was going to be a second question when I answered it. So, because Sophie did this week's one. Yeah, that, yeah. Ma that makes sense. So it took me by surprise and I was like, oh, true. And so I kind of thought about it and I was like, yeah, okay. I guess experiences are like, they're more fun. So you chase them. Yeah. And I think people, the, I think what, where I was coming from in this question was that like, 
do you chase experiences to the detriment of your connections like of your relationships you know what I mean so if you're chasing experiences and like living your best life which is there's nothing wrong with like you do you boo you go for it um then is that coming to the detriment of making like lifelong friends and like solidifying those connections that are going to be more meaningful later in life I just think that's interesting um what did you pick I would say that I chase experiences more oh actually I think lately I've been chasing connections more but I think Recently in my life, I've been chasing connections because I've found that I've I put I actually value it more. So um, I think previously it would have been experiences for me, but now it's connections, and I I can see value to having both in your life. I think it's important to have experiences and to value those experiences and to make memories. But I do think more meaningful connections are always going to be there, like who you connect with. As human beings, we are emotional beings. We thrive off connecting with others, like as a foundation. So, yeah, I do think connections is more meaningful. Yeah, I agree. I think experiences are important, but they're not everything. Yeah, they're nothing without connections. Like if you're if you were just to experience, experience, experience. But in saying that, the more experiences you take, maybe the more connections you make. I feel like in this case, it would be um, traveling. Like if you were to be a true experience chaser, you would travel heaps. And I've never really done that. So I'm not sure. But I I feel like you might not have lifelong friends, but you would at least come across a few. Mm. So I don't know. I I think chasing experiences, though, as a base term, is not like as valuable. No. Agreed. Friends, family, they're there at the end of the day when you have no money and you can't do an experience. If you're having a hard time, okay, yeah, it's fun to go have an experience, but you need your connections mm. there along the way. For sure. Yes, I think we can yeah. settle that one. Yeah, thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We hope you liked this week's episode. Let us know what you think. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review on spotify and apple music and we will see you next week for our season finale so next week's the last episode of season one um if you've made it this far oh my goodness thank you for listening thanks for supporting us follow us on instagram and please vote in our polls because we like to connect with you guys and stay tuned for episode 10 because we're going to be asking you guys for some stories. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Bye. Bye.